Welcome to Knives Out Minute, week four. Um, this is a minute-by-minute podcast going over the Ryan Johnson film, Knives Out. Uh, I'm your host, Adil Kirchie, and I'm joined this week, and of course today, by Luke Allen. Hello. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Agreed, as this is my first uh, hosted minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a pleasure as well. This has been long in the works, this show as well, hasn't it? I'm pretty sure, like... I signed up to this way before I saw the film, and now it's been way after I've seen the film that I can't remember it. So we're good. We're all set. <laughs> so, so, so you, you've just opened the door for for my big reveal, which was I kept meaning to see the show, the film, and uh, then then I was asked to be part of this podcast. Then I kept meaning to see the film. Then this was 2020, um, and I watched it for the first time uh, yesterday. Ah, great. What did you think? Because that's how one does their homework. <laughs> I really liked it. Um, yeah. I, I'm struggling not to talk more about it, because obviously we oh. don't do spoilers forward, um, except on Friday's episode where we can talk a little bit more about the film. Uh, and I'm super curious about uh, what you have thought, and I'm curious what will organically come out um, for our interaction over the next few episodes. Uh, this is episode number 15 which is minutes, uh, so time code 0015002001559. Walt has a look of consternation, and we cut to the flashback. Um, they have a conversation about Netflix rights. Walt is drunk and agitated. Uh, he mentions, uh, you put me in charge of art books, uh, and then he's sort of cut off um, by Harlan, who says, art books... They're not our books, son. They're my books. Uh, and, and then the last line of the scene is, this is not uh, uh, how I wanted to have this conversation. But you're right. You're right. It's end of minute. This is, of course, an odd chunk of the movie to sort of hop in and out of because it's the it's the cutting together of the flashbacks and the um, interviews between Benoit and the various party guests um i really enjoyed it as i said before like i had intended on rewatching the film and had not had the time this week but i it kind of took me straight back into the zone of why i enjoyed the film so much it took me a moment i, I do like the cutting away between the flashbacks and the, the sort of slight like changing and retelling of the story there was a an episode of the BBC sitcom Ghosts that came out uh, last year, I think, that where this episode came out, where it was, um, they were all all the ghosts were recounting this one event, and you're just constantly seeing different flashbacks that are slightly different versions of the same event that people have just, oh no, I remember it this way, and I and I I do find that concept of cutting in and out of flashbacks to be quite funny, maybe overdone, but still funny every time. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like the the classic Rashomon episode, right? That so many shows have an unreliable narrator. Um, I like I like this um, 
What's interesting about this chunk is it's like they had a question they had a conversation sort of aside from the room um so uh we we get um richard saying they had a conversation in the last minute right uh like uh walt was like a wounded puppy um and we cut to walton walton benoit's interview and uh, the cutting between them where it's like it's not actually like it's not the same events being reported by different people it's I know something happened and I saw the results and then it's the I'm going to give you my spin on what or, or rather so so Walt says you know we had a conversation uh, and then we see the flashback so it's kind of a nice way of doing the unreliable narrator but also doing the like gossiping thing at the same time and I, I will just say going to the very start of the minute I do love that that camera movement that we get where it kind of just does the sort of 180 and and shift focus it's i, yeah. I can imagine how hard that is to pull off <laughs> yeah exactly right it, may, it makes it dynamic and i think it shows what i was trying to it illustrates the um that transition illustrates what i'm trying to say which is you know at the same time we hear the um richard being like i didn't know exactly what what, what was told but um, he, I can't remember the exact line, but Walt was clearly put in his place is roughly what he'd said. And then he goes and he follows it up with the line that I did write down, which is Walt was like a wounded puppy all night. But so you get the sense of from that transition, though, like this is happening. He's seeing and enjoying seeing that Walt is struggling in this conversation, but he doesn't know what the contents of the conversation is. And you get that both from the narrative dialogue but also clearly from the shot of where he is and how he's like voyeuristically observing as we spin around to see him just sort of staring at that conversation yeah and i i think it's it's good for a film to not rely just on the fat on the ensemble cast either like it's not so many big ensemble all-star cast movies that's the leg they stand on so for it to still clearly be a film where there is passion from the filmmaker and they are using all these important and fascinating shots, which it weren't needed, but make it so much more interesting, I think, are great. Because however much I love movies like Mamma Mia or things like that, obviously very different genre, but the same all-star cast idea, the, the, the entire concept of the film relies solely on the fact that these are famous actors. Yes. And this that, film... Yeah, doesn't... that's a good way of putting it. Right, we've got... Um, we've got an ensemble cast that is acting quite well but it's not it's not just leaning on that like it's a very dynamic um dynamically shot and directed it's not like a play i guess it's mm. not like mamma yeah. mia sort of comes across and maybe it's also because of the source but like comes off across as kind of uh, dynamically flat in the cinematography film yeah and well, cause, because the whole appeal is here are people you don't normally see singing singing that's the yeah. that's the job, which is why it's ruined with Cher in the second one, and I'm sure I've ranted about that and on other things. But it's <laughs> um, that that's what that right relies upon, and there's nothing wrong with a film that does that. But this is fascinating in the sense of these could have been unknowns. You can see, in, in a way, it proves that the actors had passion in the project to get on board. I think because they didn't have to be in it. 
Yeah, I mean, you're right, because it's Don Johnson and Michael Shannon uh, with Daniel Craig uh, in the bridge scenes uh, as well, obviously. Um, and they could easily be people you don't know doing doing the acting thing, and it wouldn't be like, oh, this is a weird film. It would be like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. It's like a really good way what do of putting we, it. What do we think of Daniel Craig's accent, by the way? Like, I... I'm not sure what I think. I find it really off-putting because <laughs> it just doesn't feel right. <laughs> now, so here's the question I'll throw back at you. Is is that because you know what he sounds like? Or is it because you don't think he does the... I'm not sure. I think part of it relies on because we know what he sounds like. But he's never taken to me as an accent kind of actor. Look at like the girl with the dragon tattoo. He was just British in it for some reason. Um, yeah. Where I've I've had there discussions in my film class about the girl with the dragon tattoo. We're not even studying it. Our teacher's just a big David Fincher fan. Mm. Um, and it was about, you know, maybe that was an artistic decision to make him the audience's way in and the audience surrogate, and that's why he has to be British. But essentially, I don't know. It's just He's never taken to me as an actor who will do accents, so it feels like you're watching someone else's voice coming out of Daniel Craig. It's, I, yeah, and maybe I, it is because he's such a British icon as well. I was like, just say, uh, having not grown up with him quite as much, although still big fan of his earlier work as well as the stuff that's you know more world renowned. Um, I think I it's more of I hate to say this, but so much uh, is made out of that particular accent that most of my um, exposure is things that parody mm. the sort of. Um, like you've got Paul F. Tompkins' um, fan boat character. I don't know if you're a fan of a comedy Bang Bang, but uh, you know it's this I've like Bayou-ish yeah. French Louisiana type thing. It's very caricatured, and so my brain is like, he yeah. he. I'm not used to him sounding like that. Oh, I'm used to that voice being cartoonish. I don't think he's doing it cartoonishly, but boy, am I like. Yes, guided yeah. in that direction just by like background stuff um mm. but i think it, it also doesn't help that he's eccentric which is like the cliche the eccentric detective who's yeah. you're right but like i feel like all of that is pushing him towards cartoonish and i have to laud the direction editing and acting um so that it doesn't feel super cartoonish because it's something like you feel like could easily fall into that trope but I agree. But would we have? Would it have made any difference? Would we have questioned it at all if he was just British in this film? Probably not. No, but I think. Uh, well, so I think there is something happening with his accent. I think the especially the way the um, family treats him, like like these first encounters. He says, realizing that we're talking about up to this minute. Um, uh, the first encounters, people are sort of like thrown off by his accent, and they treat yeah. him differently. In this, it's it's actually a very interesting thing. It's like how some people treat Poirot, and people treat Columbo. It's like the foreign. Oh, you're foreign. Columbo like goes under the radar, but often like fakes being dumb and gets the same type of reaction out of people, which is like, yeah, uh, you're just some I idiot bumbling sort of thing. And I feel like it's like. We, they don't take him seriously until much... Uh, like, they don't take him seriously hmm. on, on the first... And there's different ways you can sort of invite that. I think that's the trope going in, and I think it'd be much harder, especially with, like, societal and audience expectations if he sounded like proper Daniel Craig's accent. That's true. As, uh, yeah, I guess especially to American audiences, that, that British accent 
connotes something. Yes. It's a level of intelligence. Yeah. Which has always bothered me uh, growing up in Canada and seeing that. Uh, but like being a big fan of various British um, things because uh, my, my parents uh, met married here in the UK. Um, so it's like I've seen that <coughs> accent in various things and I've met people. And then having lived here in the UK for an, most of the past 10 years now. Um, and having taught post-secondary education, uh, I could say that boy, do that do accents mean nothing, and boy, do people think yeah. they do even here. Uh, but that I think will take us a little too far tangential because I'll start ranting about how people treat people in the north because of the way they sound, and we'll leave it at mm -hmm. that. Uh, no, I'll <laughs> agree. I'll agree with that. I'll just add on slightly that my sociology teacher recommended that we start watching like Educate in Yorkshire and shows like that. Um, hmm. which I've never been completely sure as to how real they are, but apparently they are quite true to it. And, and, some, and, and yet the kind of conceptions and connotations I subliminally notice already just hearing people say things from a certain accent and then kind of being surprised when they say other things. It's kind of like, yeah, it's weird that we do this. Yeah, and it's, it's compounded a lot because like I'm from Calgary, Alberta, uh, you know, Western Canada, but my accent is... Very hard to distinguish from most of uh, everything west of me and a, a province probably east. And then, of course, most of the um, west coast of um, the states as well. You know, the common thing people say is I, I sound vaguely like TV, although a large, large part of that is because of I sound like Vancouver and Vancouver is where a lot of TV is filmed. But um, but yeah, right. And so it's really strange for me to then come here, which is much smaller geographically, but to see the variety of accents that like the, the different how little a geographic movement you can have to have very different accents and those also be very loaded for yeah. historical Well, I'm I uh, am in Shropshire. And so the the college I go to uh, to those American listeners, Shropshire's kind of the outskirts between England and Wales. Um, I there there is a, a large kind of variety of accents in my classroom. Uh, some of it being almost social class accents as well, because it's such a mixed area. It's one of the it's one of the top colleges in the country, I believe, but it's not like private education so you get people who've come from private education with that speaking proper you get people like me who've come from just kind of normal state schools and you've got people who are coming from uh different parts of england people travel a long way for college um i know people who are living in wales or people who have welsh accents and so it, it, it's fascinating just even in one classroom being like we all travel to this one place every day but you travel from like an extra hour or something and you sound completely different <laughs> i don't know how much I, I can't remember what my point was, I was I, I, yeah it's, it's fine gone. <laughs> um i mean i think we we're just talking about accents and how they're weird um yeah just the the notion of them is weird uh so uh, i think probably that that takes us uh to the last thing I want to, well, the second last thing I want to ask you, which is, of course, um, did you, you said you saw this once, but uh, in what format? You sort of, you didn't let us know. I'm curious. Did you see it in ah. properly in the theater, or is this, no. or you were like me? I, I, I picked up the DVD. I'm, I'm a very physical media guy. Uh, I was, it was back in late July, early August, I think. I was in 
a, a British a British store, Tesco's. Ah, classic. And it was a yeah, it was like it was two for ten, alongside cats, and I really oh. needed to force myself through cats. So I picked this. I picked this up as an extra after someone told me that I needed to watch cats. Oh, excellent. Um, and I feel like there was some intervention after I watched Cats because I, I took uh, the Cats DVD when I went on a caravan holiday and I watched it. I found it really fun to take the mick out of and I was like, this is I, 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 this is going to be my go-to invite friends round and have a laugh movie. And then we came back from our caravan holiday with the caravan and the cat's DVD has vanished. Oh no! I feel like I feel like some sort of intervention has happened within the universe to decide that no, I I, I cannot force myself through cats again. Uh, so you, there we go. <laughs> it's not the case that you that you secretly have never seen cats, and that was just a weird caravan fever dream. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> just uh, just. But but I've subliminally absorbed enough of cats to hold conversations with people who have. That could be the case. Yeah. But. Yeah, it's just very strange, especially having that really annoying gap on my alphabetized shelf now, where it's like, oh. where's it gone? I don't want to start shuffling things back up. I don't want to spend more money on cats either. Ah, it's, fair enough, it's, yeah. It's an awkward decision, but Knives Out was just the extra one I bought with that, because I was like, oh, people have said that I should watch this. I think I was, as I said, I think I'm pretty sure I was signed on to do this this show back then, because this has been in the works for about a year now, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um so I knew I was going to have to see it eventually, and I was like, oh, I'll pick it up. And I remember really enjoying it. I don't remember many things about it, as I'm sure we'll realise over the course of this, but I remember coming out of it thinking, that was good. In fact, I will just have a really quick check um, to see when I logged it on Letterboxd. I was just saying, I was like, this sounds like a Letterboxd lookup. Well, this is, one, this is one of the movies that most of my friends on Letterboxd seem to have seen. Sorry, I briefly forgot how to use the letterbox interface. I don't know why. No worries, uh, man. I, uh, 23rd of July, I saw okay. this. So a little earlier than I thought. And I gave it five stars and said clever and gripping. So there we, there we go. Clearly awesome. I enjoyed it. I give, I've, I've been told by people that I'm too nice to movies, in all fairness. So uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying to tone it down. But I have a lot of... I disagree with the... the premise that they know better than you, what you lo- how you like movies. Well, I don't, I, I don't know whether they've directly said that or whether it's more me realizing how harsh everyone else is or something like that. Like, cause I was, uh, I've been talking with this this person from my film class, and like, she'll go and recommend these movies that are like some of her favorite films, and she'll have only given them four stars. And it's like, I, I will give most movies that I enjoy five stars. I'm very much of a that was fun. I can't think of anything wrong with it on the top of my head, so I guess it's perfect. Uh, which. It's probably an interesting, especially as a filmmaker, that that's my approach to to cinema. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a as I as he said, try not to tangent, but oh well. Um, I think it's just I feel like sometimes we we the problem with like these artificial ranking systems is like sometimes what I want to say is I enjoyed this, I would watch it again, or I didn't yeah. enjoy this, or I wouldn't watch it again, and those are like a, like a set of a couple binary flags rather than a ranking out of five. And sometimes, I think what happens with a lot of people is when they compare their rankings to try and be consistent, that they realize, oh, wait, I liked this more than these other three films I gave five out of five. So it's clearly that film, this film, those other films can't be fives because I didn't like them as much. Versus I think it's kind of okay to just be like, I watched this, I just watched this. 
I think it's a three or a four or a five. And having some... yeah, I think that, I think that is frankly the case. Yeah, that it's kind of like about time is my favorite movie. I love that film. I'm obsessed with that film. Oh, what's it about? If... <laughs> um, what oh. were you saying that as a pun or were you actually? Yeah, it was just a pun. It was just a dumb pun. I, checking, I couldn't help yeah. it. I like tried That's to bite fine. my tongue. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's right. Uh, it's uh, so yeah. I, if I was considering everything of five stars to be the same level as about time then about time would be the only five star movie um i think things would be very close i'd give things like the girl in the cafe or world's greatest dad or paddington 2 4.9 because paddington 2 is a beautiful movie uh but i yeah it's yeah it's interesting the issues with kind of ranking stuff so i I might i may consult uh some of my friends on on their reviews on this uh fair enough for example the person who i was talking about gave this one and a half stars but there are other films i've talked about where like this person has like enjoyed it but also rated it really low so yeah i'm intrigued Hmm. i think it's also when you've got films that are problematic as well like older movies i i bet other people probably would so say I'll, I'll go. Darren can cut this out if it goes too far. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 16, Sixteen Candles is a very, very problematic teen movie. Yes. But there are things I enjoy in it, and I find it a fun film overall. I don't consider the problematic elements when I'm giving it a star rating, because suddenly I'm then saying, "Oh, sexism is only worth half a star." Yeah, exactly. And also, like, you know. Yes, it was wrong. Yes, it was acceptable at the time. Um, I think for all art, you have to have those things in mind anyway. So to try and like put all of that into the the notion of what that is today, kind of like, yeah, it's reductive of like the conversation about how art changes over time. And actually it's because we have these artifacts because we can record things now, right? Because before it used yeah. to be very few things could be recorded in very few types of media. I think it's very important to to be like, yes, like that's why things like content warnings or like flags are very good. But that shouldn't say make you say, well, it has these four flags. Therefore, it can't the highest possible rating. It can be is a three. You know, it, it's, it defeats a purpose. But that's also, again, going to loop us back to why a lot of like rating systems in this way are kind of not great and a disservice to most yeah. things because they're so reductive. Um, but yeah, I think I, I like the way you put it. Like it, it, the flip side is you are now saying that, that this societal harm means this functional thing and that's it. And that seems yeah, like so the in, wrong In approach. that way, I will try and ignore it for the most part. When it's an overarching theme of the entire film, that's different, I think. So, like, I recently rewatched the first American Pie movie, which a couple of years ago I really enjoyed. I'm watching it now and going, I can't stand this. It's awful. It's terrible. When that's the literal story yeah. and the theme, I think that's a different matter. Yeah, but, <laughs> but I mean, when yeah. it's when you've got that scene in Sixteen Candles, I'll go back to that, where where she's drunk in the car and she said, "Oh, you drive her home. She won't notice. You're not me. You do anything to her." That's yeah. awful. That's horrible. I can't equate a star rating based on that. I can't go, oh, it would be a five-star movie, but since there's a hint of sexual abuse, it's four and a half, because why is, four and a- why is it only half a star I'd be dropping? You yeah. Know, it's... yeah, which is why I was saying like content warnings mm. are, are more useful there, because like, there's a problematic scene, 
be wary of that yes. if that, you know, in all cases, not just if it would trigger you, but everyone should know that. Like also that we as a society here think that's a problematic scene is also conveyed in that. Um, mm. And you might say, and that I mean, that's why ratings are subjective, right? You might say, I can't get past that scene personally. Yeah. So this is a bad movie. I will rate it accordingly. Because again, for that person, that means more than half a star, right? And then you're not having this weird yeah. argument where it's like, again, like putting numbers on these things. Um, I think it's uh, content warnings. Sorry, I realize we are going on. Yeah. Uh, con- content warnings are a thing which I think is better than re-editing and trying to delete the history of a certain thing existing. Uh, I think that's the better way of going about it. There was the controversial episode of Community, which most people have stood out and said is not racist whatsoever, that Netflix took off. I think Prime just put a warning in front of it, I think. The re-release of Bill and Ted that I got on DVD the other day, obviously there is certain homophobic slurs that they use in there casually, which was unfortunately, I assume, a common part of the 80s. I can't confirm. I wasn't there. But they've just got a little thing that comes up on the dvd that says there are there are certain values and ideas that are not acceptable now but or, or something like that but um but weren't thought of such back then or some something like that where i think personally whilst as a straight white male i'm not really in a position to say anything i'm a, i i think it's preferable to acknowledge issues rather than try and delete history because that's how things will start repeating themselves yeah i i I want to say more but i'm very cognizant that uh this is probably not the right platform uh 30 minutes into a minute by minute podcast Uh, (laughs) but i i I agree uh and that's good food food for thought um i'll chuck this link if anyone gets annoyed at me for my rating of 16 candles (laughs) i'll just be like hey listen to this show um i'll talk about it but but also i think that's a really good uh segue into if you want to talk to us more how would they reach you Mm -hmm. luke Ah, so I am on Twitter at the strange Twitter handle, because I created it when I was 12, of at llama underscore bottle zero. <laughs> uh, I'm on Instagram at the Ginger Luke. I'm on Facebook at Luke Allen Film. I hinted earlier that I'm a, a podcaster and filmmaker, so all podcasts, films, any newspaper articles about me, appearances on radio, all of that's available at my website, lukeallen.co.uk. And my uh, three shows are available on all good podcast platforms uh i think they'll all be done by now there may be another show in the works please be seated where i had different guests review a film of their choice everything from uh owners of charities to hollywood screenwriters to archaeologists just on and analyzing a film of their choice uh two minutes about time which might be my favorite one i've done uh which was analyzing the richard curtis movie about time looking at it two minutes at a time uh We had some brilliant guests on there from people like Darren Brown to Ron Sexsmith to Richard Curtis. It was a great part of last year. And uh, Christmas Actually, which is another Richard Curtis movie, which is myself and Lara Collier analysing Love Actually one in-universe day at a time. Uh, And they should just be on all good podcast platforms, I think, hopefully. They'll probably be on my website. If you don't find any of them or you need links, contact me on social media, email me, luke at lukeallen.co.uk. Uh, yeah, that's that's me. Uh, and uh, you can reach me at the Omniarch on all of the things, except Twitch, which I sometimes stream on, uh, where I'm the underscore Omniarch. That's T-H-E-O-M-N-I-A-R-C-H. I also host a 
craft beer and video game podcast on the Out of Lives Network called Tanked Up. And we started late in 2020 a podcast called Geek Out Weekly. That's W-E-A-K-L-Y because we geek out not so strongly or gatekeepery or really strenuously because we're getting old on really uh about various things we've done wonder woman 1984 the bill and ted's uh escape the music uh several on the mandalorian show as it as it rolled out last year um and of course you can find that all those shows um on any of your podcasting platforms of choice uh you can find us here on the show at knives out minute on twitter and um, that wraps it, I think, for today. 